Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Behavioral Corner. I'm Steve Martirano. It being Super Bowl week in America, we thought we would take the opportunity to rerun one of our programs from a year ago that deals with the growing problem, and that is problem or addictive gambling. Millions, practically billions of dollars will be bet on sports in America, ever more so than uh, Sunday's Super Bowl game. Uh, take a listen to the program. It's important. Uh, it's a growing problem. And we wanted to share the reprise of the program with you. Hi, and welcome. I'm Steve Martirano, and this is the Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the Behavioral Corner. It's me, uh, Steve Martirano. I hang here and I wait for interesting people to show up. I'm very lucky in that regard because they, you know, they they do. They just show up and they share their expertise and their insights with us. It's no coincidence that the, the second in our programs about gambling and problems associated with gambling is coinciding with what is referred to popularly as March Madness. And boy, talk about a great name for a situation. March Madness, for those of you who are just coming from another planet, uh, is uh, the name used to uh, characterize the great uh, NCAA college basketball tournament. Uh, great fun. Everyone loves it. Uh, and it is, I think, you guys will correct me down the road, a, a larger betting proposition than even the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was the occasion for our first program on uh, gambling and what it what it is now as opposed to what it was. So we're talking about gambling here on the Behavioral Corner with our guests. I want to introduce them to you now. Uh, Harry Lamont is right there. And if you're looking at what I'm looking at, Harry's up there in the uh, left-hand corner. Um, as I said, Harry's uh, no stranger to the program, having been on uh, telling us his story about a, a pathological problem with gambling that he is now successfully uh, overcoming. He's in recovery. Is uh, also... What's, I've got to get all this right. With the uh, an internationally certified gambling counselor, uh, as I said, in recovery, he's a doctorate student at Northeastern University. Uh, he's examining, and that's why he's here, the impact of gambling on public health. Two of his colleagues from that great university in Boston, and by the way, I resisted the urge to wear my Red Sox cap here today. <laughs> I was going to do it. But I, I have too many friends in Philadelphia uh, from Northeastern University School of Law. Uh, our other guests are, are Richard Denard. Professor Denard is a distinguished professor at the University of Law at Northeastern. He's been at the forefront of the legal challenge concerning big tobacco. And there's a, the reason we mentioned the big tobacco connection. And you'll you'll find out later what that's about. Thank you, uh, uh, Dick, for joining us. And uh, Harry Gottlieb is with us as well. Uh, Harry is the executive director of the Public Health Advocacy Institute, also of Northeastern University School of Law. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. It's, it's Dick Daynard. And Daynard, it's Mark sorry. Gottlieb. Oh, how did I, I get that backwards? All right. Anyway, yeah. that's, that's my dyslexia <laughs> rearing its ugly head. Just this one thing about Boston when I worked there. I was familiar with, you know, Beantown and all those other things, but I was not familiar with the reference of Boston as the hub. I thought, well, that makes sense. It's the hub of New England. And several local people went, no, no, no. It, no. Refers, to, it refers to the hub of the universe. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is exactly how I remember Bostonians. That's exactly right. It is the hub of the universe. So 
We're, we got good people from a good place. Harry, let's begin with you. Gambling has been around forever. You know, they gambled for Jesus's cloak. And before that, um, it is an activity that people have been doing since people could. Uh, it Throughout that time has caused some people problems. You're certainly proof of that. We know all about that. But you guys show up with a with a much graver uh, picture of gambling that involves all of us, gamblers or not, the potential for this activity, which, as I said, is very old, to metastasize into something that threatens public health. What changed? Uh, what what made gambling so potentially uh, threatening to us as a uh, society? Harry? Uh, Steve, thank you for the introduction. It's a privilege to be back with you and uh, even a greater privilege to be joined by my friends and my colleagues, Mark Gottlieb and Dick Daynard. Um, as we talked about last time, gambling's been around from the dawn of time. I think I used the example uh, when the first cave person invented the first wheel. It's likely there was some schmuck three caves down laying three to one odds that that wheel wouldn't work. Gambling's not going anywhere. Gambling itself, as you point out, is not the problem. However, we are living through what has become, not becoming, what is now a direct threat to public health. I see it every day with the patients that I treat at Ethos Treatment here in Philadelphia who are struggling with gambling disorder themselves and their family. And when you ask the question, what happened? It's really what is happening right now and what needs to be done about it. We're no longer talking just about a gambling industry and casinos. We are talking about what we describe as being the gambling establishment. It is a, a unique and unprecedented combination of gambling companies, media titans, technology companies, professional sports leagues and teams, the players themselves, state government, and various advocacy organizations all coming together to deliver for profit what is a known addictive product. Gambling is as addictive as heroin, tobacco, opioids, alcohol, and cocaine. But now we have a series of organizations that have come together for profit, including government itself, to deliver gambling as quickly as humanly possible, as quickly as technology allows. I describe it as being a dangerous model that I call the AAC model. They are delivering access to action and having people chase that action constantly. As with any addictive product, the more rapidly it is delivered and consumed, the greater the harm that will inexorably occur. That's the threat to public health in a nutshell. Yeah, it, we're reminded again, at least I am, that the, the internet and, and I guess microprocessing in total is the sort of Frankenstein monster of our age. Everything it seems to touch, uh, it changes. And in some cases, demolishes business uh, plans that have existed forever. It's a beast untamed. I'll ask Dick and, uh, and Mark to jump in here now. I just finished reading David Milch, the brilliant uh, writer and uh, creator of uh, HBO's Deadwood. I just finished his, uh, his memoir. And, and Milch is a fascinating guy who's been has demons that go back to his childhood. He's had all kinds of uh, problems with addiction, not least of which is is gambling. He's a uh, he is as he describes himself a degenerate gambler and always has been. He has a description of casino gambling 
that I, I want to get your impression on. He said that casino gambling, the physical place, uh, is is designed to provide the ability to gamble beyond time. And I thought, okay, sounds like what Harry and the boys are talking about. Uh, Mark, is that what we're talking about, beyond time? Well, certainly the way casinos have been designed, you know, involve environmental psychology um, and, uh, you know, and a great deal of research to find out what will not only engage players, but will hold them there for longer periods of time than they would otherwise want to spend. And part of that, you know, is you eliminate clocks and things like that. But um, it, it's really the the games themselves, particularly the electronic games that have become the dominant um, the dominant form of play in in, in casinos um, that have that put people in, in a, 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 a mental zone, if you will, that um, in, in which time does disappear. And all that matters is, you know, pressing the button. And um, I mean, they call it a, 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 a drip feed approach to, uh, to player engagement. And they just keep playing, pressing the button on whatever machine it is, slot machine, um, poker machine, and uh, eventually, um, you know, they they extinguish the uh, the the funds that uh, the player came in with slowly, slowly. But it, it it the idea is to keep people on those devices as long as possible, and part of doing that is to make time disappear. So I think he's absolutely right. Yeah, Dick. Um, the the immersive nature of the casino is easy to see, and you know, Mark points it out. There are no windows. You can't see outside. There is no outside. There's just this environment. They make the most money, I understand, per square foot in a casino floor with slot machines. That's why there are more slot machines than there are crap tables, even though craps is more fun than slots. They just make more money. And it's the constant nature of it, the availability of it. Is that what we're seeing now that you can gamble from your phone? Yeah. Obviously, they've taken it the next step. It's but it's more than a step. It's, you know, like I'm reminded when uh, Neil Armstrong got out of the uh, space shuttle and said one small step, you know, for a man, a little huge step for humanity. This is like not just a little step somewhere. This is like a whole new world, you know, going into space. Uh, because, yeah, it's one thing to go to. I mean, you, you go back 40 years or so. You wanted to go to a casino, you got a choice of either going to uh, Vegas or Atlantic City. That was it. Well, then uh, the uh, other states got envious and greedy, and they uh, figured they were going to you know, uh, make lots of money, too. Meanwhile, even Atlantic City was uh, turning from a uh, resort to a uh, uh, apparently pretty depressing place with um, you know, all kinds of businesses closing, not opening. But they thought it was a good idea. Um, it sounded like a good idea in terms of making money. Okay, so now you you didn't have to go hundreds or thousands of miles. You could go 50 or 100 miles, depending on where you were, to a casino. But you still had to get up and go. You know, and most people can't do that, you know, the moment they get home from work or from school. Um, you know, you, okay, this is why this is a, you know, sort of a uh, quantum leap, a whole different 
you know, dimension now that we've entered where you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go anywhere. You just sit there and you're on your phone and you can, you know, play to extinction, you know, without having to, uh, you know, get out of your pajamas. And, um, you know, it's clearly going to be much, 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 much worse, you know, many times worse. Because, and, and of course, you know, what you have with the repetitiveness, it would be one thing if the, uh, uh, the only thing you could bet on was the result of the game. Okay, you know, who's going to win? And, well, you know, what, are they going to beat the predicted point spread or not? Okay, you know, that's, but you know, of course, that's exactly the opposite of what they're going to be doing what they are doing in some places, which is you get it on there and you can bet on is the next pitch going to be a ball or a strike? You know, is the, uh, uh, you know, is it going to be a uh, a run or are they going to, uh, you know, is he going to throw the ball and so forth and so on? So you have uh, micro bets, you know, they can be, you know, small or large amounts of money, but they're on micro events, tiny events that keep ha- happening. So you keep going at it. As Harry said, it's the repetition. And, you know, Mark informally had used the term when we were talking about this a few months ago, which I think captures it, which is it's not the dough, it's the dopamine. And uh, in other words, what's, what's happening is, you know, they, what they, they've done here and they're, you know, simply following the, um, you know, the great example of the tobacco industry and the uh, junk food industry, which is they're figuring out how to fiddle with your brain. I mean, that's what they've done. And they have a way to get past your normal defenses, your normal common sense. Hey, use some common sense. Don't go keeping doing this. They figured out how do you get around that? And they figured it out. And, you know, we're going to be seeing them in the same way that, you know, you have kids who, you know, just are stuck on video games all the time. At this point, it's video games, but it's with their money or if they get their parents' credit card, their money too, and so forth and so on. And obviously, you know, each of these, you know, many of these cases will end in one or another kind of disaster. And that's where we are today. Harry, it sounds like a, a it sounds like an unfair fight because a lot of people are sitting around going, well, just don't gamble. I mean, nobody, nobody forces you to stay inside of a casino. Nobody forces you to uh, to bet on whether it's a first down or not a first down. But what I'm hearing is something far more insidious. I, I, I'm hearing of techniques that have to do with very sophisticated notions of psychology and human behavior now working to break down whatever kind of self-control you might have. Are you hearing when in your counseling, Harry, from uh, – a generation of people who are already habituated to do everything on their phone anyway. Are you hearing greater numbers of young people who just love the idea of being able to gamble on their phone? Hearing it, Steve, seeing it, living it with my patients every single day, patients in their 20s, 30s, 40s, up to their 70s and beyond. Uh, Dick mentioned you know, he had to go to casinos. and You just mentioned phone. It's not just in the psychology of this. It's in how the new model of the gambling establishment has been set up. It goes back to your initial question of what changed. Let's put some real life examples on this because 
we are talking about an addictive product in gambling being delivered in the most dangerous and addictive ways possible. And let's look at both casino games and sporting events. Casino games, if you live in a state where there is online gambling, as I do in Pennsylvania and many other states now, you will see the gambling companies, particularly DraftKings doing it now, where they are advertising. You can play up to seven hands of blackjack simultaneously at one time, instantly, seven hands of blackjack at once. I submit to you that if you are playing seven hands of blackjack at one time, you are demonstrating symptoms of a potential gambling problem. And the gambling company knows this. Seven hands of blackjack all at once is not delivered with the normal or novice or regular player in mind. It is delivered to the person who is seeking constant access to action. And that's what the business model is built on. Dick mentioned micro betting within every single event in every sporting event. And it was started with the NFL's business model with gambling and has now morphed into every single sport. The industry and its and its establishment partners are delivering the ability to have action on every single thing within a game. You're even seeing rule changes designed to facilitate these things. It's why we see instant replay on virtually every event that takes place within a sporting event. So we have some certainty for the gambler and the constant delivery of this access to action. And then we see it in the way in which it's advertised. The yeah. same game parlays. Everything about it is designed to deliver the product in the most dangerous way possible. And government has become a partner in that model. Yeah, well, I want to talk about the alliance of uh forces that have come together to make make this uh, all possible. It's uh, I know it's a cliche, but talk about an unholy alliance. We'll get to that in, in a second. But this whole idea of constant action, uh, access, uh, micro betting is astonishing because listening to you guys talk about it, it begins to not sound like gambling at all. In fact, it sounds like the antithesis of gambling. Uh, people gamble for all kinds of reasons, certainly winning and getting a little uh, bump out of it psychologically is is right there, but but there's also the illusion that you're like I'm figuring this out. You know, I, I'm I'm making a educated guess on who's going to win the game, or I like this horse over that horse. There's at least some illusion that you're making a informed decision. This has nothing to do with that, does it, Mark? This I I once I want I heard this expression like degenerate gambler for years and it didn't apply to most people I knew even heavy betters until I saw somebody playing Keno in an airport in Rhode Island I had never seen Keno before in my life and when I thought it was flight information the first time I looked at the screen so what the hell are all those numbers and the guy said to me it's Keno and he explained oh I said Keno well, how's that work and he told me Keno is numbers that flash up on a screen what every two minutes or something. And you yeah, just, which is which is agonizingly slow compared to right, what right. we have now with micro betting, in game betting. It's it really it's much less um, like gambling and much more like the administration of a drug. Of a drug, and exactly. As, and I'm listening to Harry describe, you know, what he sees in, in his patients, and it it seem and 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 the DraftKings seven uh, blackjack hands at, at one time, and it r reminds me of the notion of of tolerance 
in 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 um, in um, substance use disorder, where you need a higher dose to achieve the same effect. And I think that's what we're seeing now with this um, chasing of access to action. Uh, and and you know you need to have two hands, three hands, four hands. Well, now you can do seven hands and maybe we'll get 70 hands at some point because people will be willing to do that because that's what they need to get the same dopamine effect that they were when they were just playing blackjack um, the first time. So yeah. it's, it's it's very much more like um, titrating a dose of a drug. And I think it's, it's not um, a mystery why the... Um, um, gambling disorder is now, you know, um, categorized in the DSM five like a substance use disorder, and it's an it's an addiction and not just a a behavioral problem. Before you before you go on, on behalf of my patients and their families that I'm so privileged to work with, I do need to voice an objection to the ongoing use of the word degenerate. Um, mean anything by it but again on behalf of my patients and their families gambling addiction is the only addiction that has a descriptive adjective that and for people who are listening to this and i know how important behavioral corner is to the mental health community and all the people it touches and helps but there may be somebody out there who hears that word and is a little bit discouraged from asking for help there's nothing wrong with anyone who is struggling with a gambling disorder they are a person who is struggling with a known addictive product and there is help available. So I just wanted to step in on that particular word for that particular reason. Mm-hmm. Let me ask the, uh, Dick, uh, for, do, do, are, do people appreciate what uh, the potential for this thing is going forward? I've heard from my younger friends in their 30s uh, that they know more than a few people who are, you know, their cohort, who can't afford mortgages, who can't afford to pay off their uh, college loans uh, because they're either day trading and losing their money or now uh, gambling all the time online. Do we have to get to a point, and I'm bringing this tobacco, your background in big tobacco, do we have to get to a point where we, you know, the effects of this are so devastatingly apparent that then we get action, or is it possible to get ahead of this? Well, because yeah, you guys are ahead of the you guys are yeah, ahead of the curve on this thing. Yeah, the the, 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 pro, the problem is this is the steamroller is going so fast, and in so many different jurisdictions, and it's all going in one direction. And there's really nothing, uh, you know, in the other direction. So you have, I mean, a great example of this was. Uh, in Massachusetts, when the legislation that enabled, you know, the sports betting uh, went through uh, last year, uh, the original draft of the legislation forbade uh, uh, betting, be, you know, during the game. Forgot forbade this kind of micro betting, and somebody, you know, one of the or several of the, you know, uh, people from the uh, uh, you know, gambling industry, the gambling establishment, you know, came in and testified that, no, if you do that, uh, what will happen is all this will continue to be done, but it'll be done by gambling folks from overseas. Well, the fact is you can't do that because uh, the micro bets require 
that there be a definitive call made by you know somebody in an official position. So uh, you know Harry knows this much better than I do, but um, uh, the NFL purchased something called uh, you know the Genius, I think it's called, and their job is to make an official announcement. How far did the ball travel? You know, was this an X or a Y, and so forth. So this was a total lie. There was nobody around to call them on it. They could say anything and have been saying anything. And simply nobody, there there has been no counterforce, none. Um, and therefore, they've been able to say anything they want and, uh, you know, tout, you know, the so-called benefits of this, you know, with nobody having any, uh, you know, serious you know, uh, thoughts about, hey, wait a second, aren't we really opening up, I was going to say a can of worms, but that's much too modest, um, you know, a, uh, you know, a uh, dragons or whatever. So, so the fact is, we ha- nobody's gotten ahead of it at this point. And they're, they're replacing what well, a, 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 I mean, they're sort of saying, you know, oh, well, we can't, um, we, we can't let people go and get their caffeine from some out of state source because it needs to be, yeah, that would be illegal. So instead, we're going to serve them cocaine here. <laughs> I mean, they're giving them something that's much more addictive and dangerous in a regulated setting, which is quite ironic. And to get to your, 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 um, your, also to respond to your question, Steve, I do think that it's going to take, unfortunately, um, a lot of evidence of increased suicide and you know and 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 uh, uh, the destruction of of families and the impact that that has to be more publicly visible um before um policymakers are willing to jump in and you know slow down the gravy train because as dick said this is all going in one direction right now there are not um any speed bumps being put in place to kind of control the unfettered, unbelievably rapid growth of of gambling. Whether it's particularly now we have sports gambling, but um, you know everything is is, is mobile and available twenty four seven and constant. And you know something is going to have to slow it down, and it's going to take some policy to do that. Speed bumps and guardrails. The the. Dick mentioned, you know, the microbetting and the NFL's model of genius sports and how regulators are fooled. Uh, Steve, you made the suggestion there's no one doing anything about this. I, I submit to you, you're looking at three people who are starting to do something about this. As you know, we have a webinar uh, tomorrow, March 15th, that takes on this very topic. And I'm of the view that regulators at the state level have either been horrifically misled or are just choosing to look in an entirely different direction. I think of the magician sawing the body in half. You know, while the magician is sawing the body in half, she's also waving a big red handkerchief in the air to distract everyone so no one can see how the trick really works. Thus far, the gambling establishment has been able to mislead or distract regulators. But the more that folks like Dick and Mark and myself and others begin to talk about this from a public health model and expose the absolute myth of this responsible gaming model, the quicker change guardrails 
and reform may happen. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, but, it, you know, in fairness, it's one thing to say the British are coming and another thing to kill the British when they do arrive. So good for sounding the alarm. Let's talk about some proscriptions here now that that you might be able to arouse public interest enough to have done. And, you know, Dick and 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 uh, Mark have great experience in, in going after big tobacco. I mean, there was a time in our lifetimes, for you youngins that don't know this, when, when smoking was so utterly acceptable, you smoke any damn place you wanted to. And no one ever conceived of telling you you couldn't smoke. People are still smoking. Uh, but they're not smoking where they used to or as often as they did. And we've seen corresponding benefits in, in a public health realm. I didn't think anything was bigger than big tobacco. Uh, but this looks bigger. There are some really tremendous forces that are up against this thing. Let me ask you guys, what is analogous to how you how you and others fought big tobacco that might be instructive in this fight? Uh, Dick, go ahead. If you go back to an era when you, you had something over 50% of doctors smoking, you know, I think in the 1950s, it was, you know, considered relatively harmless. Uh, you know, your parents would tell you it would stunt your growth or something like that. That's what I was told when I was growing up. Fortunately, it never had any particular traction for me, so I didn't do it, but I wasn't worried about stunting my growth. I mean, that was it. They weren't talking about lung cancer. They weren't talking about emphysema. They weren't talking about heart disease. They were talking about stunting your growth, maybe. Or that it's a rumor that uh, that it's bad. So you really need first to get the information out there. People have to begin to realize just how bad this is. They really need to change. I think it's really important to change the terms of discussion here from the idea that we're talking about the dough to we're talking about the dopamine. Because people thinking, you know, if you're just talking about bets and things like that, I can figure that out. Other people can figure that out. It's just a bunch of people behaving stupidly uh, or self-destructively. But when you realize that this is really, you know, they're fiddling with your brain. They're fiddling with the way uh, your, your body uh, actually works. Uh, th that's how they're doing this. That's the first step. Then the second step is to begin to pull back on... Yeah, and I, I, the place I would start would be on this, you know, uh, what's called whistle to whistle gambling. And it's from the you can't, you know, you can't bet on anything that happens in the game between the first play and the last play. You can just bet on the result. If uh, that's what Massachusetts was going to do until they were, you know, deceived into not doing it, um, I think that's that would be the next step. You know, and then I think yeah, you're just looking move, you know, step by step, you know, away from the kinds of things that are causing the, you know, most massive uh, harms, the, the advertising, the, mis you know. Well, that's the uh, one where I, excuse me for interrupting, but that would, that would, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, they, they, they this is in motion and they, and people want to do this crazy sort of behavior, even if it's to their uh, detriment, why, and, and everybody wants to legalize it because there's a lot of money here. Why in the world is it okay to advertise this kind of behavior? How did, for instance, how did they wind up getting tobacco advertising off of radio and television. I have had people in broadcasting tell me for years that was probably unconstitutional if you wanted to fight it on a First Amendment basis. After all, they had a legal product. 
Yeah, there is an answer to this. Uh, the, you, the, the people, had, if Congress had banned the advertising, um, as it did initially with uh, radio and television advertising, uh, with the agreement of the tobacco industry, um, the um, because there had been a doctrine that allowed counter advertising. Now that's a good one. We could go back to what's called the Bansoff Doctrine, which says that for every three minutes of what it was for every three minutes of tobacco advertising, you had one minute of counter advertising. The tobacco industry ended up lobbying for legislation to eliminate the right to advertise on radio and television. And when that passed, then the counter advertising, which the you know stations had to provide for free, they were getting paid for the tobacco advertising, not the counter advertising. Uh, so that eliminated the counter advertising and sales went right back up. So that was the, uh, so I think we can, um, you know, if the if you, you, we bring in the bans, bring back the Bansoff doctrine, or uh, as it was known, the fairness doctrine, right? Um, and, and you know, and just to to play devil's advocate, I think that um, First Amendment jurisprudence has changed a bit since the 1960s, and it, it, it the the fairness doctrine might not um, survive uh, uh, scrutiny by the current occupants of the Supreme Court. Well, we don't. We actually don't know that. This this would no. be really. This would actually be a totally different thing. I'm not at all sure that it wouldn't. Let me tell you what happened with the tobacco industry. What happened is they got sued by uh, basically all of the states. Um, sued them seeking their, you know, their contribution to uh, uh, Medicaid and uh, uh, other payments there, you know, that they were making for it because. You know, employees and citizens uh, were getting sick from lung cancer and other tobacco-related diseases. The tobacco industry settled in something called the Master Settlement Agreement. Part of their settlement was an agreement, a binding agreement, to get their advertising off of radio and television and to tone it down in other ways. Uh, no, it was off radio and television already. So to, to get rid of the remaining most of the remaining advertising. It's that included was, billboards, the um, Winston Cup, things like that. Yeah, the top of taxi cabs in Massachusetts, right. in Boston. Let me, you know, let me ask you, what, what was the, uh, the absence of uh, hard liquor uh, on television and radio? Uh, a gentleman's agreement or was that by uh, statute? Uh, I, think, well, I think it was a gentleman's agreement. Yeah, because that snuck right back in now. You see, uh, you see, spirits uh, advertise. I just think advertising is just an unconscionable thing. If you, if if you're going to unleash these forces on people who are unsuspecting and have no idea what's happening in their heads, w- having this stuff pumped at them co- constantly, well, that's one kettle of fish, which is horrible enough. But but to every time I see the little furry mascot of the Pennsylvania lottery telling people, you know, Oh, just keep scratching. I just want to like leap at the television set that they shouldn't you pay. They shouldn't use a dime to encourage anybody to gamble. People don't need any encouragement. Yeah. And of course, I'm sorry, Dick, go ahead. I was just going to say, and of course, advertising again, you know, is not, you know, like gambling itself and like tobacco, you know, cigarettes and so forth. There's not, you know, affect you. It does not work by rationally persuading you. Oh, I guess it's really a good idea now that you think about it, considering the pluses and the minuses to go and play, to go there and bet or place this kind of bet. That's not the way advertising has ever worked. 
Now, certainly not in the last hundred years. So the advertising itself is designed to, you know, seep into your, you know, uh, not past your conscious defenses, past your conscious thinking. And of course, it's doing that with the uh, gambling as well. You know, these are not persuasive arguments for doing it. These are, hey, wait a second, everybody's doing it. It's cool. Looks like fun. And then you slap problem call. You got a problem called problem gambling. It's unconscionable and it should be stopped. As you well know, as everyone on this call knows, I am no longer a lawyer and I certainly was never a law professor. So I defer the legal analysis to Dick and to Mark. However, you ask the question, what can be done about advertising? And there are a few things that can be done that the public and regulators need to understand. First of all, when Justice Alito wrote the opinion in the Murphy case back in 2018, which paved the way for states to legalize sports betting, Justice Alito himself wrote in the opinion that states and Congress are free to regulate the gambling industry. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, since 2013, the American Psychiatric Association, followed by the American Medical Association, followed by the World Health Organization, have all recognized that gambling is an addictive product on the same level as heroin. Once that is recognized by the federal government, I submit it creates much greater room for Congress to regulate. There are ways to regulate gambling advertising. What we see right now is it is unlimited, it is in your face, and most of all, it is impacting children because it is taking place within every sporting event during prime time. Games are just consumed with talk and advertising of gambling. As I like to say, if you think back to when uh, ABC decided they were going to show partial nudity in the TV show NYPD Blue, which David Milch, who has a huge gambling problem he is working to overcome, created. Milch couldn't show us even part of Dennis Franz's backside until 1045 at night because the federal government deemed it was dangerous before 1045. Yet gambling, every moment of every day when we know children are watching. Congress can most certainly address that. And that's part of what my work at Northeastern and the work I'm privileged to do with Dick and Mark is all about. Dick Denard and uh, Mark Gottlieb from uh, Northeastern University uh, and uh, Harry Lunt. Um, thank you, guys. I am uh, pleased and uh, honored to uh, have you on the show. I, I think you're doing absolutely important work. Uh, we like to talk about this podcast as a podcast about everything because everything affects our behavioral health. And nothing, in my recent experience, is as pervasive and insidious as this legalize this move to legalize gambling uh, and the and the unholy alliance of the people that are uh, lined up to make sure it's a big big deal. I would urge everybody who uh, has a modem and a uh, and a phone to stop gambling for a couple of minutes and check these fellows out. They they're going to have uh, an absolutely um, unprecedented uh, webinar: the dangerous myth of responsible gambling. Uh, March 15th, it's tomorrow. It's free, by the way, Steve. You can't lose anything. Free is the great marketing expression of our age. There'll be no wagering. There'll be no wagering during the webinar. Consider it a uh, course that you can audit from these two guys. uh, Would otherwise cost you a lot of money to go to their classes. Anyway, it's from 1 o'clock until 3 Eastern time. That's uh, 
we give you the, uh, I guess it's mean Greenwich time because you, you have an international cast of uh, experts on the webinar. Urge everybody to do that. Dick, Mark, and Harry, thanks so much. Uh, I hate to use a bad betting pun, but I bet this isn't the last time we talk about this. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Pleasure. Right, thanks, guys. And thank you all for your time. And uh, don't forget to you know hit the buttons and like us and check out the webinar. Uh, check us next time on the Behavioral Corner. Take care. Bye-bye. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer a comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, on the Behavioral Corner.